0: I would heavily encourage to find a peer group. You know, those there, there's cost obviously associated, whether it be financial or time, but those commitments can be life-changing. Welcome to the Generous Business Owner
1: Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rut. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts of the program. We have a very special guest with us today, Austin Williams. Austin is the founder of Compass Ventures, a real estate development company in the Smoky Mountains. Austin, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for, uh, for having me on today. Well, this is going to be a lot of fun. Austin, I, I told him he's bringing the average uh, age of our guests down a little bit. Uh, having graduated from college, I think in 2010, is that right, Austin? That's, that's correct. So uh, this will be fun. We'll get a little younger man's perspective on this uh, journey of the generous business owner. And Austin, we always, always try to start with uh, uh, just some background. Where did you grow up? What was your family like? Was there a faith component? All that kind of thing.
0: Sure. So home for me is uh, Sevierville, Tennessee. So we're right here at the base of the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. And so I was born, raised here uh, in the area. You know, From there, I went to Carson Newman College, which is just outside of Knoxville, so not, not far from home. And I spent a few years in Knoxville, but Sevierville's always been home and where I hope to be able to spend the rest of my days. How many siblings did you have growing up? So I've got one younger sister. Um, that's, she's a, a six years younger than me, and she and her husband live in Knoxville. And and, were your, uh, and and what was it like, uh, both your parents together, that kind of thing? And was there a faith component or anything like that? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, fortunate to have mom and dad that uh, were very, very big part of our lives. Certainly a faith component. Uh, we grew up at First Baptist Church, Sevierville, which is uh, right in our little downtown. And, you know, my dad, uh, growing up, worked for our family's hardware store that my great-grandfather started uh, a little over 70 years ago. Um, and my mother got to be uh, got the opportunity to stay home with my sister and not, which of course, had a big impact in our lives, and fortunate to to have that.
1: And yeah, well, now you, I understand, worked in the family business at the hardware store for a while. Is that right? Tell us about how that went down. this is this is fascinating because, I mean, now we're going to get into your career as it evolved, okay, And you're building a company sure. now. But I think that's so interesting that you grew up in a family business. and I think everybody who's in a family business or was in one, nobody I don't think has a panacea that it's some easy thing. I think from the outside, people think, "Oh, isn't that cool? Everybody works together." Uh, It's really not that easy. So, what what was uh, what was your involvement and experience like there?
0: Yeah, so you know, as a kid, that was a bit of a second home. Yeah, bet yeah. A lot of summers and middle school, high school, college. You know, I spent working there at the family business. You know, early on, that might have been sweeping floors, you know, doing the, the simplest errands. Um, and that later turned into, you know, delivering material, um, stacking lumber, and, you know, playing all sorts of different roles. But, you know, that had a huge impact in um, understanding how a business works, understanding complications in the family, and how do you deal with those, those tough conversations. But that was, you know, for me, really growing up, my dream was to work with my dad and my granddad at the hardware. You know, I still get to live that out today because we're in there being in real estate and in development, uh, obviously getting to talk with them often, ordering material. You know, I just never as a kid envisioned it would be in this capacity. Uh, but anyways, you know, life uh, played out a little bit differently, but, but that's been great.
1: So what, did you work there? Uh, yeah, You mentioned middle school, maybe high school, obviously, probably as long as you could carry a broom. <laughs> I have a feeling you were in here <laughs> on a Saturday.
0: Did you work there like through college as well? I did all the way up until my last year of college. You know, I would spend summers working there, earning a little bit of extra money and and sure. later. Okay. So you're getting out of school. You've got a
1: business degree, right? That's and right. Kind of thinking about what to do was, and you mentioned that, you know, the original plan was maybe get into the family business, but, but that started to change. What, what was the catalyst there? How did that conversation go or that thought process?
0: Yeah. So, you know, towards the end of college, I, for various reasons, started thinking that maybe, maybe there's different avenues, different options that I want to look at. And so, in, you know, I went to a few career fairs and did the, you know, the typical uh, looking into other options and ended up doing financial planning for a summer. Uh, I interned with a financial planning group out of Knoxville and um, that led to spending seven years with them. Um, extremely valuable experience learning about finance and loans and taxes and really just the way money works. But probably more importantly in that process, you know, being in your young 20s, trying to talk to folks older than you about how to, you know, trying to advise them on, on how to spend their money and how to deal with finances. It forced me to learn a lot about people, a lot about, you know, good planning And I think that today carries a big impact into what I do now. And you told me along that path, uh, not
1: too far into that job for your own financial planning, you started to buy in some real estate. How did that
0: come about? That's right. So in 2012, um, well, let me back up. Yeah, I realized that in that process that real estate has a lot of tax advantages and to be honest that a lot of my wealthiest clients dealt in real estate pretty heavily and invested in real estate. So, you know, that encouraged me to think about like, well, how would that look for me? And in 2012, a business partner and I started buying foreclosed homes and renovating those and renting them out. And that really set the, the path to getting into real estate uh, development full time. So how many, I think you were,
1: if you bought your first house in 2012, I, I think if I read quick, correctly, you, you left the financial planning business in maybe 2017. So what was that five year? There had to be that moment where you're like, okay, when do I turn off one spigot and live on this other one over here? What, what was that transition like?
0: Yeah. So we you know, we had been buying single family homes, 14, 15, 16. Those years we, that started into storage unit facilities and Strip centers and warehouses and, you know, started getting into other asset classes. Yeah. But then in 2017, a more experienced developer and I uh, got together and partnered on a ground up apartment complex. We built 204 units that we opened up in a couple of phases, but the first phase started in 2018. And that was really the exit from financial planning because I realized I had such a passion for envisioning a project you know, figuring out how to put the pieces together and then seeing it all the way to the point that we, you know, open up the doors and people started moving in. And, you know, what an impact that is to be able to create safe, affordable housing for folks. And what a fun process it is to go from just an idea all the way to reality. And so that challenge just, you know, was a huge driver for me. What do you think?
1: Now this is, I'm sitting here going, wow, this sounds really easy. Okay. Uh, we just drop a plan. We sit around, uh, have dinner with a experienced buddy of mine. We say, Hey, you know, would it be cool if, uh, there's that little plot of land over there Why don't we build 204 apart. It's, it's not that simple. So there's something about your personality and makeup. And, and I think we, you gave us a little hint about it, about envisioning the project and seeing it to completion. I mean, I hear a lot of people talk about real estate. I mean, of course, I'm in the financial services business, right? So I've been doing this for 30 years. It seems like everybody with a little bit of money wants to get into the real estate business, but very few are maybe as committed for sure. I mean, you've turned it into a real successful business, but I think not everybody's got that there's leverage involved, there's risk involved, all kinds of things can go wrong. There's vendors all over the place. And then you get the thing built, you got to control costs, and then you got to lease it out. And there's the economics of that. And how's the economy doing when that happens? And what's the micro? What is it about? I mean, it, you make it sound simple. Uh, maybe it is simple to you, but what do you think it is about your personality that helps you
0: be good at this? That's a big question. Yeah. Probably not a simple answer. I think probably for me, where I excel is, is leading a, a great team. Mm. So today, what that looks like here at Compass, you know, we're a real estate development group, like you had mentioned. I think one thing that's unique about us is we've got an architectural department, engineering department, and then obviously the the development team. So we've got a lot of, you know, experts in different fields that are coming with different viewpoints and different perspectives on projects. And how do you understand where each person on the team is coming from? and what they're thinking about individually, and then how do you mesh all those things together uh, to create create a great product or a great development? And so I I think, you know, I mentioned those people skills that I learned when I was 21, 22, 23 years old, and and trying to advise folks that were 40, 50, 60-year-old how to use their money, my people skills had to grow quickly. And, you know, that that was a great experience that today, you know, just has tremendous value, I, I hope, Uh, in our projects and I I think understanding too that leverage on loans how finances work how what are the the tax implications going to be on on these things that we're doing you know tying those two skills together but then also throwing in the construction knowledge or the small family business experience I learned at my family's hardware store when I was a kid I think both of those two life experiences are having huge impacts in what we do today I think if I don't have either the, the small family business experience or the financial planning business compass, likely would not exist. Well, that's a great description
1: of it. And, uh, you know, the, <laughs> the simple analogy I was thinking of before you gave that story was, well, you grew up around a lot of hammers <laughs> and I, I, I know, I guess these days everything's pneumatic. Okay. Driving a nail, but in, in your projects. But I think there there is something to that family business. I bet even when you were sweeping the floor, you were paying attention, or you probably ran the cash register at some point, uh, dealing with the customers or finding something for them, and, and that kind of thing. And then that additional interpersonal uh, having customers in the financial services, and then also learning the finance. But it sounds like you you really like all parts of the project. What are the division of duties between you and your partner?
0: So we've got several different partners. Okay. Different projects. Okay. And you know. We, so we've got a hospitality group uh, that has several restaurants in in our area. And so we've got an operating partner that he's a chef in those, and he's really dealing with the day to day. We're here at Compass. We can come in and provide the, you know, the visioning, the design, the execution of the project. And then once the project's done, we hand it off to him for him and his team to to run it. Got it. It, But but at Compass, do
1: you still have the same business partner that you joined with in 2017? Um, Yes, we do.
0: And what's that division of duties like for you and him? I'm sorry. So I'm more of the day-to-day CEO here at Compass, and he uh, plays an advisory role to me in sort of the vision of the the business. We both have different developments that, you know, several developments that we work together on, several developments that we, you know, that, that only I might be a part of or only he may be. But we get to utilize our team here at Compass to facilitate the projects that we piece together that really
1: makes sense because it sounded by the way you were describing building the team and being involved in all aspects of it. Clearly you're, you're deep in the operations of, of what's going on. You're uh, a right. So, but also running the business day to day. And so so what, what does the business look like today? Just roughly how many projects, how many buildings? I, I don't know how you define it. What are the metrics you look at for the, for the size of the business?
0: So for us, Um, I'm going to answer that in a roundabout way, but our mission here at at Compass is development with direction. So all of our developments, we want them to have a a higher purpose than just to build, you know, insert whatever asset asset class it might be, just to make a dollar, right? Of course, that's important. That's what keeps business going. But we want our projects, we want to think through them in a In a way that is, how does this affect the community? How does this affect the customer? Whether it's an apartment complex, like what is the impact of the way that we design this going to have on the people that are living there? Because it's most likely the people that are living at that complex are going to be, you know, folks that we're in, we go to church with. Yeah. uh, Or their kids go to school with our kids. And so, you know, we're thinking through that and how does it impact the community more than just, is it a profitable business? Of course, both are important. But, you know, for us, so that's our mission. But to answer your question, our three big five-year goals is, one, to solve the workforce housing crisis in Sevier County, uh, two, to redevelop downtown Sevierville, and then three, to turn Sevierville into a premier resort. Effectively, what that means is to build 2,000 rental homes or to to build 2,000 residential units in the community to build 1,500 overnight rental units. So those 1,500 overnight rental units might be cabins, campgrounds, condos, hotel units. And then third is to do 30 projects in downtown Sevierville um, that help to revitalize it. So that's sort of to give you the size and and scope of of what our goals are. Right now, we've got close to 1,000 residential units either in design or under, uh, under construction currently. And we've got six or seven downtown projects that we've facilitated over the past year since we start. You know, set out on those goals, and then we've got somewhere around 400 uh, overnight rental units. So we're a little behind in some areas, a little ahead in others. But it sounds like some of the financing comes from partners. You,
1: you, you have LPs, or do you usually have? H- how does the financing work generally?
0: And um, so we, you know, we have started raising funds with investors. Yeah, um, that's been something that's relatively new over the past year or so. So in, in each project. Project is a little bit different. Sometimes it might just be an in-house deal where it's just me and a partner. Uh, Others, it might be where we're fundraising. Got it.
1: And now I think you gave us, I really like this vision that you have of being really conscious of how this affects the community, what you're doing in real estate and actually how you're trying to build even the, I would say, economic base of the area. Selfishly, I have to ask, is there a decent golf course nearby? That's what's going to get me in one of those cabins.
0: I, absolutely we've actually got a large cabin development right now that sits up against the golf course okay all right all right all right we'll, we'll talk out we'll talk out of school here uh
1: <laughs> anyway that's uh this a beautiful part of the country so uh you got me okay so now so you know obviously this is the generous business owner podcast and I think right. the, of course what you triggered in my brain when we were talking about the community is that business is generous to the community in that way there are different forms of generosity. It's just not money. It's not just money. It's how you treat the community, how you treat your customers, how you treat your staff. Do you give away money? What are other ways that you think about the business being a platform for all those kinds of generosity?
0: Yeah. So, you know, one of the ways that we try to have an impact, I mean, of course you can give dollars away, which is great. Sure. And there's a place for that. But, you know, we also try to think about What is it that Compass is uniquely designed to do? How can we take that to nonprofits that might need that that expertise? Yeah, us. We believe that we are the premier uh, Smoky Mountain uh, real estate developer. So right now, we're in the process of helping our church, who just bought a you know piece of property, to build a campus and a private Christian school on that that site. We're leading the way. Alongside the leadership team at the church in facilitating that development. Parking, of course, has expertise to, to facilitate that. The, the, the church leadership knows uh, what they need and what exactly the church is going to do, what exactly the, the school, what's it going to look like. But they might not have expertise in, in facilitating the development itself. So that, I think, is probably bigger than just simply writing a check yeah. uh, to help with their fundraising goals. So that's the really exciting way for us and our team to see impact in the community and, and to be able to get back. How do you think about it? Do you think about it
1: in terms of uh, your employees or how do, you, how do you think about that or vendors, those kind of things?
0: Can you expand on that question a little bit? No, I just mean
1: when you're building your team, mm-hmm. how do you think about you know culture being a place where you sort of be generous to your employees by building a great team? I think we see these surveys where most people are kind of dissatisfied with their job. So how do you create a workplace that's attractive for people to uh,
0: be employed? So to answer that question, I, I think that many of the folks that have came to our team probably had better financial offers from other companies. And I actually know some of the two most recent hires did, but they bought so heavy into the vision and our values, and they got excited about things like downtown development or making an impact in affordable housing, and those things attracted them. That's been really neat to see as our company has grown that they've bought into the vision. Yes. They take pride in that as well. I think, too, that we do a really good job empowering people to take on responsibilities and for them to own whatever it is that they're working on and to have a lot of flexibility in work. Uh, We're pretty heavy here on, you know, a lot of flexibility in, in when you work and, and if that's at home or if that's at the office. But being really clear on you, all, on you making your impact in whatever way that that might be that helps the company, you know, have those, you know, or accomplish those big picture goals that I mentioned. I love it. So people buying into that
1: vision and mission. And, and, I, and I think some people underestimate how valuable that is, that you only have to offer the highest paycheck. When a lot of people would rather have maybe some flexibility or a purpose-driven place to work, which you're simply yes. providing, so I think that's helpful. One thing when we were uh, t- uh, talking before we started recording this is so interesting. And wait, uh, I think uh, we 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 found this little chord in, in a lot of people uh, who've had an experience with halftime. Uh, you know, we've had Lloyd Riebe on, who's a coach and uh, some leadership from halftime. But tell us about what. Uh, I know you're involved with the halftime institute. Tell us about what the impetus was for you to get involved there, and maybe some things that you've uh, you're working on or are learning in that process.
0: Sure, yeah, that's it's been a great experience. I started with halftime in October of 22, um, so we've been going for eight nine months now, and it has been a tremendous experience. the The way that that started was I was looking for a peer group that. I could be encouraged inspired by and learn from and you know folks that were maybe outside of my circles here in severeville and in east tennessee that had you know really really big ambitions to not only have successful companies but to have you know enormous impact and and be really intentional in accomplishing that so i came across halftime you know it was interesting to me because when i was you know, thinking through that process, it probably took a couple of years to come across halftime. But when I first had the opportunity mentioned to me, you know, I'm 33 years old and I open up Lloyd's book and he's talking about his story about being a real estate developer and, and feeling like something was missing. And I think he was either 32 or 33. And so it just really jumped out to me that like, Hey, this is a similar, you know, yeah, you're not alone. Yeah, you're not alone, and it's like, man, what an opportunity to learn from him who's went through this process, and
1: and so that's it's just been great. Do you have a a group of other half timers as folks that you meet with? What just for the listeners, what does that group look like?
0: Yeah, so there's a group of eight or ten of us. You know, folks are primarily in real estate in some capacity, but some aren't at all. the uh, The group is a set of highly highly successful folks. I think. I think my application must have somehow slid through the cracks because I, I feel like I don't belong, but they're great folks that are really intentional about how they spend their time, you know, how they are trying to make an impact in whatever it is that they're very passionate about. And so we get together uh, every other month and we're going through a process, you know, where we're looking at what is our life's mission and, and how do we, you know, hone in on that? How do we continually to dig into that? you know, how do we most recently, well, maybe not most recently, but over the past three or four months, we've been working on what is our philanthropy mission and how do we, you know, hone in on it? How, how do we get intentional about where we invest our nonprofit dollars? Yeah. And so that's been a really neat process that I hadn't thought a significant amount about, but I'm getting to be surrounded and exposed to a lot of great folks like you know, Jeff Reddits, how I met you guys mm-hmm. and hear their story and be encouraged by that. So what, what do you think the number one thing is? Is that
1: it, because that's the most recent is the, you know, deploying nonprofit dollars. I mean, you're a young guy in a building uh, in a real estate business, which is capital intensive. Is that something you're thinking about dollars uh, to philanthropy? Or do you think more about plowing it into the community? How, how do you think about that issue?
0: So. You know, being like you say, being early on and in, in a capital intensive business, I had a little bit of hesitancy getting on uh, to this podcast because, you know, many of the folks that you all have interviewed have had such a significant contribution. If it's given away their business or, you know, in some significant impact that I can't say that I'm I've, I've completely done that yet. Yeah, I think unfortunate to give away a lot, but for us you know, it's more about starting to to learn from those folks and how can we be intentional about how we start to do that? Like I said, how can we make an impact? It's not just financial at this point in time. Exactly. And that's by making those, you know, helping those nonprofits do a development. And especially early. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 really
1: not just about the cash flow. I, I don't think you don't have to apologize for, for <laughs> that. I just think it's the stage and stage you're in. And in the business, what's cool about your business is I mean, if you're sweeping floors at your grandfather's hardware store, you can do that as a servant. And that can be generosity to the way you treat a customer in a passing glance. I mean, so there's all kinds of generosity. And I I think the the business you're in has an impact in the community by the product you're building. Uh, So that alone so it seems like that's kind of where, uh, the, the, the focus is now. And, and so is that kind of for you part of what you're trying to figure out with halftime is like, how do I really think about the business piece, my personal mission, all of those, uh, where are you in that sort of thought process of, you know, in the halftime
0: process? Great question. So one of the biggest things that we've been going through is how do we leverage our platforms to have that kingdom impact? So, for example, you know, and this can be big strategies or small strategies. So if we're building an apartment complex, you know, why aren't we placing a Bible in every one of those units? You know, really simple, low cost, uh, but could have major impact. What if on that rough day that non-believer opens up that cabinet, finds the Bible and opens it up? What could that possibly lead to? You know, it's our responsibility to plant seeds, right? It's, It's not our responsibility to ensure that there's a large harvest. But it is our responsibility to plant that seed. Or what if on a larger scale, we've got, you know, we've got a large development that would be a big single family and multifamily community, you know, likely over a thousand units, maybe even closer to 2000. And so how can we get intentional in, in bringing in someone that maybe, you know, creates programming that elevates the value of life for those folks that live there and that that might teach you know, financial classes or parenting classes or marriage classes. Also, you know, introducing those folks to Christ. And, and, and what an opportunity and what a platform that we are, you know, not leveraging. And so that, those are things that we've been starting to think about and starting to get more intentional about. And that's, that's been a huge value that Halftime has brought to the table. You know, because Lloyd wanted to exit the business. Um, and, you know, he's obviously now over Halftime. I don't know that that's what I, I feel led or called to do at this point. Um, that could change in the future, but, but now we start thinking, how do we leverage that platform, and, and how does that align with my mission? Man, that is
1: right on the money, which is really what we're – I mean, I think that's core to what we're doing is, is just trying to get people to think about that kind of thing. And so those examples you gave of how do you serve people in the apartments is, is just a great example of uh, the missional things you can do uh, a, a long way. And, uh, so, oh, let me ask you this. There's a common theme sometimes in some of these interviews about, uh, the success people have, and especially on leveraging their platform, uh, for generosity is it tends to not be in a silo. Uh, it tends to be a team. And so, you know, you've got a partner at work, all those kind of things. And, and I'm, I'm sure some key team members, but maybe you could talk about, uh, even within halftime, I think part of the magic of halftime, at least for me, was other people speaking into my life where they don't really know me. Uh, you know, they don't have a preconceived notion of who I am or they, they just hear the facts and they're able to sort of give me aha moments about that. Have you seen some of that happen in your group, maybe for you personally or for, or
0: for other people in the group or both? Absolutely, a, a significant amount. I think over the past, you know, uh, eight, nine months going through halftime, I've learned more about myself and really, you know, have had the opportunity to dig into like, what is it really that does motivate me and where do I excel and, and really discovering, you know, my life's mission, not just my company's mission um, and then how how do you, you know, focus your time and efforts on that. And it's interesting because, you know, now that I have more clarity on that, I can look back and see, well, no, no wonder that these tasks or these projects were very frustrating because they just, they weren't aligned and, and I, I, I didn't completely understand why it was frustrating, but now I'm, I'm looking back. And so, you know, at this point I feel like a lot more of my time is spent, uh, in, in my mission and what, what really excites me and where I feel like I'm having big impact. I just find that to be so fascinating
1: how we all have these blind spots about how we operate naturally sort of in our genius. And sometimes you get outside of that and you don't realize you've stepped outside of that. And it takes people who, I mean, you, you, they can get to you know, know you for a 45-minute call and go, why are you doing that thing? Clearly, that's not what you're I, – I just I, – life as a team sport is one of our principles yeah. uh, in our company. And, and it just never ceases to amaze. I always think I have the answer. And then we get a little team together, and the answer always gets better. It's just amazing to me. I, I think that's one of the secrets of uh, of halftime's effectiveness. When you say,
0: "Yeah, absolutely." I mean, a great example is is with Jeff. You know, via Lloyd, I meet Jeff, talk with him, and to be quite honest, one of the thoughts that I had is, "How does his kids feel about <laughs> this away?" Yeah. And so, you know, I I don't think I told him that, but he said, "You need to you need to talk with my son Ben." And we talked and he had this perspective of this is God's anyways. And I'm like, wow, that is so cool. How, what did Jeff do as a parent for his son to have that perspective on life? And I mean, that's incredible. And, you know, now some of those bits and pieces, what can I take and teach my kids? So just that being exposed to people, like just like you mentioned, Halftime, it, it's such an eye-opening experience and it is so different from you know most folks you kind of crossing the line
1: well that that's a perfect promotion. We just interviewed Ben uh, <laughs> Rutt, and so uh, for the listener, go back a few episodes and you'll uh, you'll hear we interviewed him exactly on that topic because that is really? a hot question. We did one also with Alan Barnard on that same topic so they could scroll back and find uh, when we had Alan talking about what do your
0: kids think about you giving away the company so uh, do you have a, a family yet? We do. My wife and I. Um, we have twins that are five. They'll be starting in kindergarten in a few weeks, uh, a little boy and a little girl. And then we've got another little boy that will be two in October. So we, um, you know, we're right in the middle of that, trying to learn as much as we can and, you know, scared to death of the things that we're teaching them, but it's right, uh, around, you know, other folks that we can learn from. Can they hold a broom yet? We got to get them out to where you- uh.
1: <laughs> they they haven't been sweeping yet. All right, we got to get them to work. Uh, all right, well, you know, this has been great. as As we sort of wrap up here, uh, Austin, I think uh, you know we always try to wrap up with just some practical tip. And uh, you know, so for some of our older guests, it's you know kind of what have they learned along? Maybe what what do they wish they would have known? Or you know, what's something that uh, somebody further behind? But I think for you, it might be for a peer. You know, somebody who is, uh, feeling a little stuck, uh, that man, am I the only one, you know, praise God that I've got a little success going here, but, uh, who do I turn to? Where do I go? What advice would you have for, uh, sort of some, some, peer that's listening to this, who hasn't entered a halftime group or something else like that to
0: find encouragement on their path, to be a generous business owner. You know, that you become the books you read and the people you surround yourself with. Right. So I would heavily encourage to find a peer group, you know, those, there, there's cost obviously associated, whether it be financial or time, but those commitments can be life changing. And, you know, I, I just think being around good groups like that and open your eyes to how other folks are doing things, you know, in a heavy impact way. And I so, I'd, you know, if it's if it's not halftime, I think it needs to be, you know, I would heavily suggest some other similar type peer group.
1: Or, and, and maybe start by, if uh, if you're not even ready for that, just get a couple of friends together and, and tell them yeah. what you're thinking about and get their input. Just the humility to take that feedback, I think, Absolutely. Um, is helpful. So that's just a way, great way to wrap it up. Austin, thanks for being with us on the Generous Business Owner Podcast this week. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Leave us your ratings and reviews, share it with a friend, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the generous business owner podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.